<sighs> so I turned 27 last week. You did. I did. It was fun, but nothing makes you turn 40 like turning 27 with two children. <laughs> Like they kept coming out to me like, Daddy, it's your birthday. But like every day of the week became my birthday. So every day they're just like, how old are you now? And I'm like older, I guess one step closer to death. Oh, man. And they kept they kept asking, like, what does this mean? Because like with them, like when when my daughter turned four just a little bit ago, it was like, oh, now I can do this. Now I can do that. Like We bought her her own PlayStation. Now she can turn it on and play it whenever she wants. And Ben my son is turning three here in a couple of weeks. And that means he can kind of watch stuff whenever he wants. Like we're allowing him to be able to pick up his tablet. He knows how to use it. He knows how to turn on the TV, that kind of thing. So it's like, we're trying to give them a little bit of freedom. So their birthdays mean something. Yeah. So every day they're like, it's your birthday. What does that mean? I'm like, I don't know. I gotta go get my prostate checked. (laughs) Like, yeah, probably should do a stress test for my heart at the doctors. I'm going to start, you know, eating more Cheerios. Uh, I'm like, well, it looks like I get to have a carrot today. <laughs> a carrot, though. Too many. Yep. It's just not just good Just one, because there's a lot of sugar in those that you don't realize. And there's a lot of sugar in carrots. Bananas apparently aren't good for you. And apples, basically, a death sentence. So Yeah. I mean, w- once your palate adjusts to not eating processed sugar, you can actually taste the sweetness of a carrot. Yeah, I think it's bullcrap. <laughs> you, know you know what is good? Booberries. Okay. You know what's good? Blueberries. Yes, Lucky Charms are good. Captain Crunch, godsend. You know what I mean? When when they're talking about all the fiber and the shit, I think it's all bullshit. I'm surprised you skipped on like your favorite fucking cereal. Um, no, no, no. It's in a whole other category. Honeycombs is above anything else within a food group. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it is on its own thing. There's a reason why Creature, by the way, the the mascot for Honeycombs, is no longer allowed because it was too good. Okay. Yeah. It can no longer appear on television because people are only eating honeycombs. No he other food was, was being clearly eaten. doing crack <laughs> and trying to get other people to do crack. Yeah. <laughs> like he sounded like like Gergi if Gergi had snorted a line of meth. <laughs> that's how the black cauldron ends, right? Is Gergi doing yeah. meth? And they're like, oh, yeah. no, it's so sad. No, no, that's how it starts. <laughs> Does Gergi die in in Black Cauldron? Spoilers, but yes, he does. Okay, that's. I was trying to remember. Yeah, spoilers for a movie that's like forty years old, <laughs> an animated movie that no, no one even from the studio that made it likes. So, but I, I couldn't remember. I'm like, I think he dies somewhere in there. Yeah, he he does die. He jumps into the cauldron, but he gets brought back at some the titular cauldron. Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> any any time I get a chance to say titular, I try to take it because it just doesn't come up that often. Right. So then what I like to do at work is sometimes I still say titular, even though it's not the titular word. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about projects, you know, because again, I work in the hoity-toity office, I adjust my tie and I'm like, and this is this is the titular slide. And it's like a slide of percentages. And they're like, what? <laughs> but no one knows anything. Anyways, and they're not so going to question you. They're not going to question me. I'm the English guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm the writer. So they're like, yeah, he probably knows what titular means. It's the same thing. Like sometimes I like to slip in extra commas. And no one, right. no one stops because they're just like, yeah, I guess, man, I should, probably should be putting a comma there, huh? <laughs> Dude, nothing makes me question whether or not I'm actually funny by making my entire office laugh with the most minimum amount of effort. <laughs> no, it's see, like, don't worry about them. Worry about yourself. Like, it's funnier just to make yourself laugh and let them think you're crazy, right? Right. <laughs> but, like, so, someone from out on the floor came in and was just like, Hey, how's it going, ladies? Because the office is like full of women, and I'm the only man on shift. You can be a lady. I think yeah. you'd be a great lady. But like, but like, she like saw me and then overreacted and was like, "I mean, gentlemen, a uh, man." And I'm just like, "Eh." And everyone <laughs> in the office just exploded into laughter, and I'm just like, "That just happened." Yeah, close enough. Like, <laughs> I don't know. People people worry about it so much. Like, I, because I'm the youngest person in the office mm-hmm. very often they're like they always try to backtrack when i'm in the room i'm like i'm a white dude like it's very difficult to offend me you've just offended everybody else that exists on the planet for sure uh and i'm gonna go tell them about it <laughs> <laughs> but i'm fine like, like i i thought everyone was bad anyway so uh well anyways for the uninitiated this is the aiming for mediocrity podcast 
Well, each week we try to hit the bar and somehow end up below it. I think that's that's a good way to describe it. I started putting in the description. Uh, I apologize for this episode. The next episode will be better every week. So that's pretty good. It's pretty <laughs> good. Yeah. If you're curious what happens on this podcast, usually we just ramble about things that we find funny that nobody else finds funny. Things like Nicolas Cage and our podcast within a podcast, Two Golden Guns, or casting this movie on Cameo, where we just go to Cameo and scroll through how much people cost. <laughs> you know, the finer things in life. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dave, other than our horrible jobs this week, have you been enjoying quarantine anymore? I, I they're lifting sanctions left and right in Michigan. So I saw people jogging in the park together in groups of like 40, you know, yeah. very healthy things. Uh, <laughs> are you seeing any anything crazy where you work? Um, Not really. No, that's good. Yeah. Everything's pretty much staying static uh, or bad because they weren't quarantining you properly in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> Social distancing is not a thing. It's fine. I kept seeing uh, pictures of people like get like huge gatherings in the parks and stuff. Like mm-hmm. the, I think the sanction says like it was supposed to be people, you know, like groups below 10. And I see groups of like 50 and I'm like, I don't think you were hanging out before quarantine. Now you're just starting to spit in people's face. Like you didn't have this many friends before. Oh, well, no, those are just five groups of 10. <laughs> oh, OK. I didn't know that multiples were allowed. I get it. Uh, I uh, the thing that I I keep seeing is like people are using this as a chance to like make friends. It's very similar like how incels work. They're like, oh, I can't get anyone to talk to me in real life, so I'm gonna find other people that everyone else hates, and we'll group up. And that's mm-hmm. what's happening here. There's like, well, if I tell everybody I hate social distancing too, maybe I can make three or four friends, and now we can play. I don't know. What can you play with three to four people? Yahtzee, uh, Monopoly. Ooh. Monopoly? Oh no, they're not playing Monopoly. That's not, that's not happening. No, no one does that unless you know all the rules, and no one knows all the rules to Monopoly. Right. I think that was that's only one of the few things that I know. Like what I bring to our group of friends is I can wrangle everybody for Dungeons and Dragons, and I can teach everyone how to play Monopoly properly mm-hmm. within two hours instead of the fifteen-hour games I've seen people play. Yeah, I think Monopoly is like nine dollars on Switch right now. Ooh, see, now you're bringing up good things. We might need to start playing uh, Switch Monopoly. Although I don't know if they have an extortion button, and I can use <laughs> that to, to finish playing Monopoly. People there, there's, that... <laughs> there's definitely a trade system in that game. I've watched the Game Grumps play it, and they have a lot of aggressive fun with that game. Good. See, and, that, and that's what I like, because if you can't walk out with one of your friend's keys to their car at the end <laughs> of a Monopoly night, then you're not playing right. Like, I need shit to get real. I need friendships ended. I need marriages that need counseling afterwards. People always talk about how Catan can break up, like, a relationship. Nothing can break up a relationship like Monopoly. Monopoly can end with a murder. And and it needs to. Otherwise, it's just (laughs) not... That's not a good Monopoly night. That's why I laugh when people call it, like, a children's game. I'm like, you're full of shit. The Monopoly is capitalism at its finest. It demonstrates who is smart and who is poor. Just like Ron Swanson says, like it, it is the true representation of America, except for uh, trying to build a conglomerate. I know it's very difficult in Monopoly. You can have a monopoly, but you can't <laughs> coexist. It's against right. the rules. Although I think like for the first like third of the game, it is appropriate to just single out the other person who's doing the best and you two take over the board and then you have a, a duel towards the end. Oh, I mean, that, that that's how it always ends. Yeah, basically, you operate a cartel on prices for different areas and agree not to sell anything, and you continually bump prices <laughs> at the same time without speaking. You send it in a text message that the the um, Federal Trade Commission doesn't see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you, it's very, very similar to when you see two gas stations in the same town, <laughs> and somehow their prices go up at the same time magically, even though they have two different gasoline providers. Yeah, weird. It's it's weird how that happens. <laughs> Trying to explain to people in our in our hometown when we worked at a gas station that we weren't operating a cartel. It was just like we get these drops from the gasoline companies. They tell us what to set the prices at. We could ignore them, but like, why? <laughs> yeah. Like I remember being so back in the day. Now it's all digital signs, but back in the day we had a flip sign to tell people what the price was for. Oh gasoline. my god! Yeah. So I would walk up on this like forty foot ladder. <laughs> you know three four stories up high and with a with a claw that went even further to flip the price 
And because our town was flat, except for one hill that didn't really have much on it, you could see the price from anywhere in town, basically. So I'm just up there, you know, 17, 18 years old, working at the gas station. I would go flip. And the people that didn't understand that I did not control the prices because I was an 18-year-old person (laughs) and I own nothing, they would come to aggressively badger me while I was on this uh, ladder and scream at me tons of expletives that didn't really apply to me really you know like a lot of homophobic slurs a lot of racial slurs again straight white dude none of those things really applied to me but it was still distracting when on a ladder very high up and also the idea that they thought by yelling things at me i would change the price lower like i really like that idea that it was like a very like like price is right type situation yeah if they yelled out the right number i'd be like yeah i'm gonna go with uh one cent bob like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like oh. it was going to happen. So I would just be I up thought there. thought it was a free market. <laughs> right. <laughs> Occasionally, people would like get so aggressive that they would approach the ladder, which was very scary because it's not like somebody was holding it. You know, no. we only employed three, four people at a time for the entire place. And that covered all shifts for the week. Yeah. <laughs> so it was very scary being that high up, having people yell at me, even though price in the 90s in the like the mid 2000s we're not that bad for gas it's not like i was setting it at like 7.99 for for a gallon of gasoline but it was precarious to say the least did you ever have to change that sign when you worked there no i would have fallen off that ladder man (laughs) i I have no sense of balance yeah i think it was like i was the only person there that was paid in cash so like they're like well we don't have to worry about insurance like it's fine there's no proof he actually works here <laughs> <laughs> somebody throws a tomato at him up there it's fine just say he was some sort of skateboarder trying to do some sort of tony hawk move and uh and move yeah. along do a grindy thingy <laughs> speaking of what tony is- hawk those are getting remastered one and two So one and two i'm very excited about this they're getting all of the upgrades that you got from like three and four so revert and all of that stuff mm-hmm. revert and spine transfers manuals manuals were in two but they were introduced in two but they weren't introduced in one i believe right so that'll be pretty cool i played tony hawk's pro skater 2 until like my playstation died that was still even back before the analog sticks were introduced so i had that mm-hmm. really weird ps1 controller that looks naked that you ever oh a, a yeah ps1 controller without the analog sticks you're just like oh you're missing something yeah i i had one of those for the longest time and i was so upset because i needed a controller to play ape escape the first I, that was the first game i think that had the necessary analog sticks at least that i can remember mm-hmm they're like, you cannot play this unless you have the analog sticks. Do you want to hear a really depressing story? Sure. So it was probably, I, I think I was eight-ish when Ape Escape came out. And we would drive the 45 minutes to the nearby town because there was nothing but trees where we lived mm-hmm. um, to rent games every once in a while. That was the treat. I never got to buy new games. I would get to rent one <laughs> once a month Oh yeah, for the $4. And then because it took us so long to get back to that nearby city, you know, the, the subsequent $20 for the late fee. Yeah, I um, miss those trips to Blockbuster. Right. Or family videos where I would go. Yeah. If you live in the Midwest, family video was like our equivalent. We had Blockbuster, but people were like, damn the man. They're the <laughs> they're the, they're the conglomerate. They're going to take us all down as they were the first thing to go out of. Business. Yeah, we had a Blockbuster, but it was weird. It was like it had already shut down by the time it opened. Yeah, kind of like it was a very strange thing. Like it was like an outlet mall, but for Blockbusters. So like yeah. you didn't even get like the crappy B movies that Blockbuster would have. You'd have even less. And they never had the boxes either for anything, so you had to guess. You just got to go by the title, and you're like, I guess, I guess, uh, Time Force will be good, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, anyways, so I, I go to rent something there, and I, I knew a lot about video games at a young age. Like, I, you know, I, I read all the magazines, and I had heard about the analog stick coming out. Like, I knew that that was a thing that was coming to stores. I might have seen it at a kiosk. So when I saw Avascape on there, I was like, I'm pretty sure I can't get this one. But I was holding on to it. It was cool. You know, you, you always hold on to something as a kid for the hope that your parents will just buy all the, the prerequisite devices, mm-hmm. even though they're poor and they weren't going to buy you that thing, let alone all the things to make it work. Like, God forbid the toy you had needed batteries. Like, forget oh, that. God. Because like even though you'd say like we'll just buy it and if we ever get batteries you're like no fuck that I'm never buying you batteries put that back 
So I, I'm, I'm holding on to Ape Escape, and I'm pretty sure it needs the analog stick, but I'm there hoping maybe I can rent one there, even though that's not how they worked. And I get to the front, and, and I ask the guy, you know, not shy at all, because it was about video games. I know what I'm talking about. I was like, I'm pretty sure, sir, that this needs an analog stick controller. And the guy goes, you know, he's 20-something. He goes, no, that's only it for the Nintendo. And I was like, well, the oh. N64, sir, comes with an analog stick. He's like, no, that's not what that's called. <laughs> And oh. I was like, honey, he probably knows what he's talking about. He works at Family Video, the highest honor. <laughs> like, oh, no. Bestowed. So, so just trust him. Okay. So we rent it and I get home and I was a very quiet boy other than talking to um, clerks, apparently. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, but I, uh, I raged. <laughs> I made my mom get me the phone as an eight year old and I called the Family Video yelling at them. And then my mother yelled at him. <laughs> Oh my god, that's amazing. I can then, I can literally see that in my head. I was so angry and my mom like my mom was pretty like like you know chill. It's like oh it's a toy or whatever, but when she got the chance to like, like exert dominance on someone who had wronged her children, like she wasn't allowed at PTA meetings anymore. Like she couldn't step foot on like school premises other than pick me up because she had threatened several teachers and school board members. So this poor young man, he just you're like he doesn't care about video games. He's just trying to get through his shift, and he made a mistake. And uh, I'm pretty sure you know he jumped off a bridge after that or something because Oof. it was it was pretty mean. But luckily, I was able to borrow a controller from an older friend of my uh, of my sister's. She happened to buy it at the same time, so I was able to play Ape Escape. So it wasn't a big deal. But for that one night that that I had it rented without having to be able to play it, oh man. You would have thought that Krakatoa was going to explode. And it probably did. Probably. I probably caused it. It rippled through time and space because I was so angry. Did you ever have that? What? That angry as a child because you couldn't do something? Because like your world revolves around one thing at at that age. You're like like, you just fixate. I was a rage monster as a kid, dude. (laughs) That's so weird because I never see you angry as an adult. I know. Like I had severe anger issues as a kid. I actually would punch my mom when I was tiny. Oh man! Yeah. No wonder and she like, tried to send you down the river. And like I was, I was a small, weak child. Like because I'm a weak adult now. So <laughs> yeah, it scales. Like, like, like obviously, my punches didn't actually do anything other than emotional scarring. Right. Right. But like, yeah, I was a little rage monster. She tried to leave you at like the like the fire department doorstep, but as like a thirteen year old, <laughs> I was like, "Hey guys, can I come in?" Statute of limitations. Like, like <laughs> we we are aware that you tried to do this thirteen years ago. It's t- it's too late now. You can't. <laughs> yeah, like the expiration date has been reached. Do you like? Can you give me some examples? Because again, most of mine were video game related, because that's all I cared about at that age. It was like Power Rangers and then the PlayStation. Um, let's see. My memory is shit to begin with, so. (laughs) I I remember freaking out a lot when they would cancel a show, but like on network television back then, we wouldn't hear about it. You wouldn't know that a show was canceled. It just wouldn't be on the next week. That was it. You'd never see it again. Yeah, and like and I like they would say it sometimes in newspapers if you followed any of the entertainment sections if you're reading like the Washington Post or something. But you know, in the middle of nowhere, Michigan, in the middle of the woods, I didn't know Spider Man would come on and all of a sudden he looked different. Originally he looked like, you know, the nineties Spider Man animated series, and then the next week, all of a sudden because there was no pauses too in seasons. That's not mm-hmm. how it worked for, for Saturday morning cartoons for children because they would commission like 52 episodes because it needed to go all year because kids never stopped watching or buying toys. So there would be no season break. It's just all of a sudden, oh, there's new characters on or whatever. So it would be like 52 episodes. And then the next week, there would be the new season. It would just keep going. There was never a pause for kids. It was wonderful. But Spider-Man, the animated series, went from, okay, he's fighting with Captain America with these nondescript characters because they couldn't get everyone, like, all the rights to everyone to air. And then the next week, all of a sudden, it was Spider-Man Unlimited. It had a new voice cast, a new art style, and he was going to space with some really ugly-looking Venom and and Carnage-type characters. And I was so confused and so lost. And I watched it, and I hated it every week, but there was nothing else on. You know, there was one channel that had children's programming that was not 
you know, Mickey Mouse. Yeah, so I was still going to watch it, but it just angrily. So I was like, I was like, hate watching it. It was like out of spite. It's like how people watch The Bachelor, I assume. I don't do people actually like that. I don't know. I have no idea. It's like the equivalent, like as you're an adult when like you're seeing somebody and you're like, you hate them, but you're like, I got like, I'm already here. Like, I'm just like, maybe I can make their life worse if I stick around. Like, That's... I already bought this pizza. Exactly. <laughs> but like, I'm still just watching Spider-Man. I'm like, I fucking hate this. But I'm there with my Spider-Man toys. I'm like, you look wrong. This is <laughs> like, I, I feel like that. That's like how like the, the racial divide started happening. I'm just watching. I'm like, you're not I'm like hashtag not my Spider-Man, you know? Yeah. You're just, you're just watching Spider-Man Unlimited. You're looking down at the toy, and you're just like, "God, wrong, do you?" Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is something ain't right. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, so that's I, what, I remember being angry about that. I think the most vivid rage I can remember as a child was when I first was introduced to Digimon. As a kid, for some reason, like the switch in my brain didn't realize that when they were saying Digimon, they were not saying Pokemon. Right. And I like my brain was just like, no, it's got to be a spinoff. Pikachu's got to be in this shit. It's, it says Mon. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, we we were just just as a quick aside, we were just recording right in the fields our new podcast about um all the nostalgic things. So like cartoons, like the stuff that hits you right in the fields. And our mm-hmm. first episode we did was on the first season of Digimon. Um, I gotta have you on to do the the, the future episodes of Digimon because you have some really good stories like this one. Um, but we were talking about how excited we were because Digimon looks so different than Pokemon. It's interesting to hear the fact that you hated it. <laughs> like yeah. out the gate. Go continue though. No, when when I first started watching it, I threw a complete shit fit. I did not <laughs> understand why Pikachu was not in this show and why the hell there were eight kids in this weird multicolored interdimensional travel world like it, it was way above my head i was pissed off i wanted pikachu i wanted pokemon but then you get to the end of the episode and it's a cliffhanger <laughs> and my child brain exploded <laughs> it was like the first serialized storytelling show i had really seen right it blew my fucking mind well i guess you mean you watch spider-man well yeah but like like, I don't think I really got into Spider-Man until after I watched Digimon. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. Because I was like, I'm like, I'm pretty sure they did that. But yeah, depending on when you were, when you got up in the morning, Spider-Man was like early on in the morning. It started like, it was one of the first shows on Fox Kids. Yeah. So if you weren't up at seven o'clock, you weren't seeing Spider-Man. But it was just insane how angry I was at Digimon. And then for not being know, Pikachu. And yeah, friends. You know, then like, you know, the series is over, and I ended up liking Digimon one hundred percent more than Pokemon. Yeah, but the, I feel like that was just because Pokemon wronged you, because I remember being so hyped for Pokemon, and it was going to be on like a bunch of different channels. You know, it was going to be syndicated. You'd be able to watch it on Fox. You'd be able to watch it on uh, whatever WB Kids was. Was it just called WB Kids? It was Kids WB. Kids WB, okay. WWWB. Um, and people were talking it up. Like, there was cards, and there was going to be a game. And I didn't, my mom did not buy me packs of anything, let alone packs of Pokemon cards. And she was not going to, she was not going to buy a Game Boy at the time. So I'm like, I don't, know, I don't know what this whole Pokemon rage is, but it sounds awesome. Like, I put it up on this pedestal, but I'd already fallen in love with Digimon. And finally, when I saw Pokemon, I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> There's no story. Pikachu's fat. Like, I was shaming the poor little, like, oh my god. I was like, what is wrong with it? You know, because the, the, the Digimon were like fit you know what i mean like they were angular they had really large hands but they were they were all in shape because they were all drawn to be like comic book characters they were all like all badass whereas in pikachu was like a fat little like lightning rodent thing it was meant to be kind of cute i didn't want cute i wanted action i wanted uh 90s extreme like if it couldn't be in a capri sun commercial i didn't give a fuck about it <laughs> right <laughs> so when they showed me pokemon i'm like this looks derpy like there's something wrong with this with this squirrel and there's definitely something wrong with this little boy like why does mom just let him leave like the why does he sound like kids, he smoked a pack a day exactly like the digimon kids like they were sequestered it was the beginning of the the ikasai isekai 
Um, yes, yeah, isekai. Like idea of of manga and, and anime where like they get trapped in another world. Like they, it was not their choice. Ash was just like, "Peace, mom. I'm ten. And his mom was like, "You're right. Get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> Here's lunch, which will last you fourteen years. You're ten years old. Time to see the world. Nothing bad will happen. Yeah. Oh, nothing bad will happen. You mean like how my dad disappeared? Yeah. That's yeah. fine. Or like in what was it? The second episode, he's attacked by a flock of birds and then electrocuted. A gigantic Quetzalcoatl like god deity is above him in the first episode that is ready to rain down hell on any that wrong it or luck, depending on how it's feeling. Fickle that day, and yeah, they're just like, "Here, have fun, Ash." And that ten-year-old's just sitting there like, "It's gonna be a good day." <laughs> And then he befriends like three adults and they just travel the world together. There's yeah. something weird there. Something weird going on. Oh, for sure. To be, to be eight years old again and just not care. Yeah. I, I, I feel like nowadays with media, I, I definitely like more things than you, but I'm still so picky. Like if it's not the best, the best, like if it doesn't review from like 40 different reviewing critics that I love. And they're like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. I don't have time for it. It's not, it's not for me. I can't just be watching anything. Like there was a game I really wanted to play and it got sevens across the board. And I'm like, I want to play it, but I have this game that was a perfect 10 everywhere. So I guess I'm going to play that first. What games were those man eater? And I ended up like, again, I'm exaggerating. I played it. It was really, really fun. That's the game where you play as a shark who needs to get revenge. Oh Yeah. Solid game. I think you need to play it. <laughs> and then the other one was John Wick Hex, which I also really loved recently. Oh, uh, that was good. It's like a like a strategy game, but it's got these different timelines above you. So like if you're like you so you're John Wick, right? But it's not an action game. You're not doing like gun katas and crap. You're just like you see a timeline. And if your moves faster in there, move it executes first. So you move around the level trying to time out. Are you going to take out these guys before they can take you out? It's pretty fun. It's nothing extravagant by any means. Huh. It's a good time, though. I was just biding time until The Last of Us Part 2 comes out in Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah, I am so excited for Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah, did you see the reveal event where it's going to go black and white like through the entire thing if you want? So it's like a Kurosawa film. No, that sounds awesome. Yeah, so you you should watch the reveal. So you can do that. You can also put it just into the Japanese dub the entire time, like nice. like from the beginning. The only problem with that is is it looks like the syncing for the lips was done for English actually because it was done you know in American studio, right? So it it looks like the opposite of what you're used to when you watch like a Kurosawa film like in that's, English. That's kind of cool anything. though. Yeah, it is interesting. Interesting to do. I was trying to hunt down because uh, my wife has never seen like a. Not that she's never seen any samurai movie, but none of the really good ones. Yeah, she's she's watched a lot of crappy kung fu movies with me over the years, but I she's mean, never seen the samurai film. That's kind of a prerequisite for marrying you. I, I mean, what the, the kung fu movies? Yeah, that's why that's why we never got together. <laughs> well, you wouldn't watch Bulletproof Monk with me. <laughs> like, you know, like I know it's on the lower end, but the amount of ska and then like action scenes that are in it, you just need to see it. Wait, there's ska in it. Yeah, um, the the sequel band from uh, what's what's the band that did Ruby Soho? Do you know that song? No. Uh, this the podcast that we record or Rancid. Do you remember Rancid? Not really. You don't know the punk band Rancid? Not off the top of my head. If you if you hum a few bars, I might know. Uh, if you fall back down, I'm gonna pick you back up again. If you fall back down, you're going to be my friend. If you fall back down. No, nothing. No, nah. that's how he sings it, too. Like, it's it's just like really like Cockney, like sounding British dude who uh, isn't a great singer, but it just fits the vibe so well. But then he like did a solo thing right after and then had his own band. And he did a lot of the songs for uh, for Bulletproof Monk, but Bulletproof Monk. Let's okay. We're gonna jump into two golden guns, and I'm gonna tell you why it's two golden guns, even though Nicolas Cage is nowhere around it. Okay, so th- okay. welcome to the podcast within a podcast. Two golden guns, the the only podcast that talks about akimboing and nothing else. And that means two guns. If you don't know what akimbo means, 
<laughs> so you know John Woo movies, obviously, right, Dave? You know, yep. you see the doves in the background. You, they have two golden guns. They're jumping and shooting at the same time. You know, the three things that never happen in an actual gunfight, but in every John Woo movie happen all the time. So yes. <laughs> John Woo, um, notorious for directing several actors that he really liked over and over and over again. One second, pulling up. I mean, you write what you know. <laughs> right, exactly. Which is, you know, uh, Chow Yun Fat and then Two Golden Guns and then Jumping in the Doves, like we d- discussed before. So, Chow Yun Fat, really, really good kung fu movie star. He is cast in Bulletproof Monk. And Bulletproof Monk was like their idea of bringing the wire fighting like to the extreme 2000s type like scene. Uh, it was basically a direct-to-DVD movie before they were doing direct-to-DVD movies. Okay, okay. So it starred Chow Yun-Fat, Sean William Scott, you know, Stifler from American Pie, huh. and then, uh, what was the other one? Jamie King, which I don't know if you know who Jamie King is. She was an actress at some point. I don't, she doesn't really do much now. But the idea was this, you know, white savior dude, he lives above a Kung Fu theater and he learned Kung Fu by watching all of the movies and mimicking what they do. Right. Okay. Okay. Chow Yun Fat. Again, this was not, not, uh, not, um, directed by John Woo, but it should have been, it was, it was a John Woo movie, but with more comedy. Okay. So Chow Yun Fat was this ancient monk of this order who hid the scroll that could give you superpowers basically. And he, he, it was on his body. Like that was the secret. It was like recorded on him. He is the scroll. The the scroll is no longer a thing. I think that might be a twist spoilers, Um, but he needs to protect it from this order of white dudes who are basically Nazis, but they're not Nazis. It was just these white dudes in suits with blonde hair and blue eyes. If you know what I'm saying? Right, right. (laughs) And they want the scroll, you know, for world domination or whatever. So he runs, they kill the whole order. And he, you know, he's traveling around the world. And eventually he ends up in New York because, you know, as one does. And he runs into Sean William Scott and he helps him fight. And he's like, you're good, but you don't have the skills and you're too punky. I I can't train you or whatever. You can't be the next monk. And he's like, I don't know what this means. I was just walking through this nondescript little China area. Um, (laughs) anyways, so eventually he sees something in him and he starts training him and he starts teaching him that if you don't believe in the laws of physics, there are no laws of physics. So now you can do wire fighting. (laughs) So you can do a backflip that lasts 45 times and you can run up this wall and we need to save this really rich girl who also knows Kung Fu secretly. And she's actually the daughter of this mob slash Nazi organization. (laughs) Hold up, hold up. Is is this movie like like did they make this movie out of a lost like first draft for a Shenmue game? One hundred percent, except for that they just made everybody white. That's this Yeah. Like, but it's yeah, also like, like every single mobster movie too, because she's the daughter like of the, the mobster who falls in love with the guy who's gonna take them down. This sounds like some Shenmue level bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, so they team up doing wire fighting and and two golden gun jumping with doves behind them. And as the monk trains them how to use superpowers. And then in the end, um, he's like, I can't just give you the scroll. And he's like, I understand. It's because I'm too punk. And he's like, but I can give you both the scroll. And he splits it up between the two of them. Spoilers for the, the bulletproof monk. <laughs> okay. But the movie, like, I love that movie so much. And it has such a good soundtrack. And, like, it's, it's again, it's this crappy kung fu movie. But it's really cool because, like, one of the things that is awesome about it is it has really cool wire fighting. Like, we're talking levels of, like, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon levels of, of okay. wire fighting. So, like, usually I'm not a big fan of wire fighting. I just want to see, like, normal kung fu. I was a big fan of Bruce Lee when I was younger. But Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, while a little melodramatic for my taste, has some really cool fight scenes in the air because the wire fighting isn't just they can jump really high. Mm-hmm. Like, they do an anime style where the, a lot of things happen while they're in the air. And it's just very impressive. And the way that Bulletproof Monk uses it is like it's a superpower. So it's not just we jump high. It's okay. We can run and jump and do twirls in the air. And there's not a lot of super like like CGI. It's a lot of practical effects as they do it. So it looks good when they do this wall run and then a backflip kick and stuff because they're doing Kung Fu 
they just happen to also be using wires. So it's done really, really well. And they showcase a lot of different fighting styles, which is neat. And they call them out. And it's really neat to hear like Chow Yun Fat talk about like, well, it's interesting that you know that move. And then, you know, Stifler is like, yeah, I've seen it in this one movie this one time. He's like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it's a, it's a lot of dumb fun, but I do recommend that for the two, two Golden Guns fans. <laughs> All right. Yeah, rent bulletproof monk, Dave. I recommend you watch a trailer sooner than later because it is a solid film. I'll for sure uh, get on that. That that sounds insane. It it is. It's like weird when you look at some of the movies that came out in the two thousands. Like I think it came out in two thousand and three, right around there. I'm like, how did this get made? I'm like, oh yeah, because they made anything you could want in two thousand and three. <laughs> yeah, it was before the stock market crash, but after the internet bubble burst, so it was back to Hollywood. Because like the internet was going to be the thing. It was all hackers and and you know cyberspace, and that went away. And they're like, what do we do? I'm like I don't know. Matrix is doing well. What if we just made more shit where like you could bend backwards? Hell yeah. And so that was like all the movies that came out right around there. So, I, I, and again, I love crappy Kung Fu movies. I also love good Kung Fu movies, but that, that was a pretty good one. Do you have a favorite samurai movie, though? Um, I actually haven't seen a ton of samurai movies. You should. So you're already, you're already <clears throat> messing up. I, I think your favorite samurai thing would probably be what? Like Samurai Jack? If we had to pick a samurai type situation. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. As a kid, I loved, again, like, <laughs> being a little white kid from northern Michigan, like the stuff that my, my, my dad loved B-movies. So we'd watch a lot of movies that were either good, bad. You couldn't really describe them other than cheap. Mm-hmm. But, I, but that means we watched everything like he had no discerning taste. It was like, oh, sure, we'll give it a shot. But I loved The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise as a child, like a lot. Which is not, uh, it came out same year, by the way. It was like right around 2003, I think. Uh, I could probably Google that. Yeah, See, came out same year. That's another movie I haven't seen that I feel like I should. Okay, so it's got a <laughs> lot of white savior issues. Not just like oh, politically, sure. like it's just like there's no reason for a lot of it. Like that's my issue with it. Like I don't really care politics wise. Like it was a movie made and they're like, we could attach Tom Cruise. They're like, yeah, put him in there. Like, I don't know. It's, a, it's basically the story of Neo 1. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you know, it's that English soldier and he crash lands and they teach him how to be a samurai. Like, that's that. That's what happens in The Last Samurai. That's the whole story. But the actual samurai fights are fucking dope. And they look really good. And it's not all practical effects, but it's but the ones that are look really, really good. And there's only a few fight scenes, but they're all amazing. And Tom Cruise, man, you watch that dude run. Watch him run in samurai gear. It's the same thing. It's like Mission Impossible with samurai. Jesus, he runs and then he slashes a couple of people like full Kurosawa style. So that's really cool. Obviously, the best ones would probably be the Kurosawa movies. Um, They used to be available on Hulu, and I don't think they are anymore. I I don't know if you could watch them for free on any streaming sites. I think you might have to actually rent them. But Seven, Seven Samurai is the one I would recommend to you because you love Westerns. Yeah, and and I've I've seen that type of story done. Like I know when it's being an homage to that movie, for sure, for sure. But yeah, the movie just, is good; it holds up. I just have never seen the original film. And also the other one, it's it, you know what's that comic book with the rabbit, and it's gone for like forty years, and he's like a samurai. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, not a clue. U- Usagi. Um, Usagi Usagi Yojimbo. I just Googled it. So he's in the same universe as the TMNT, but he's the samurai rabbit. Oh, do you, do you look up a picture of Usagi Yojimbo and tell me you've never seen that that rabbit somewhere? Well, um, can't say I have what really? Yeah. Okay, well. You're never allowed to go to the comic book store with me ever again. That's all right. We're in quarantine. I can live. So really, really cool samurai um, story in Usagi Yojimbo. And it's really neat because it crosses over with TMNT. And it's crossed over with different TMNT universes, which is really neat. Like, it's still going. Like, Usagi Yojimbo started in, like, 1984 and it's still going. I think, <laughs> let me Google it. Hold on. 165 issues. Damn. Yeah. Really, really, really cool, though. Like, the art style is a little bit dated. Like, it's very 80s. Oh yeah, but it's same same creator and stuff. It just keeps going. 
but it's uh and it's it's based on a bunch of like established samurai from like actual history but cool. the name though the name is an homage to the movie yojimbo from akira, akira kurosawa which is another really good samurai movie and gotcha. that's the that's the next one like seven samurai is just dope i would recommend yojimbo because like the like the story wise mm-hmm um, that's like the traveling Ronin type like yeah. thing that you see in all the anime. That's kind of where that comes from. What's the what's the Seven Samurai knockoff that the Westerns did? Was that just called Seven Cowboys? Like what's um, Magnificent Seven? Magnificent Seven. Okay, yeah, yeah. Did you watch the remake of that? Was that any good? I wanted to watch the remake of it. I just remember they had like Chris Pratt and Denzel Washington. I'm like, I'm in. Like, those yeah. Are, you just said two very good names for a list of movies that I would watch. It had a lot of good names in it. I was like, I want to check that out, but it I never. Makes me doubt it was actually good though, because like sometimes when you just throw in like 45 good actors, they just kind of cross their fingers and hope it's going to be good. Yeah. Like every single romantic comedy that's about like people crossing paths, like Valentine's Day or whatever. Like they're like, oh. It's fine. It's going to be great. We have everybody you liked in the last 20 films. Yeah. But yeah, Last Samurai um, is good. Not as good, though, as Seven Samurai and Yojimbo. But Last Samurai was shot in HD and it's pretty and stuff. Um, but the those two from Kurosawa, I believe, are black and white. Yeah. So they will look dope on your HD TV. I wonder if nice. I can rent them anywhere yeah i itunes amazon prime four bucks worth it though oh Maybe totally we'll do like a watch along or something i think that would be cool yeah i can just throw out facts as we watch it you know ruin the film for you <laughs> <laughs> ones that came out in like recent years though not teenage mutant ninja turtles 3 i did not like that one did you like teenage mutant ninja turtles 3 i loved it as a kid i know as an adult that it is not good i loved the first 14 minutes of it before they went back in time. Like, I loved yeah. Samurai stuff as a kid, but when they went back in time, I'm like, this movie sucks. Like, I had a sense of it as a kid. Which is funny, because 2 also, story-wise, sucks, but it's so much fun. I love it to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, Have you ever seen Boon Raku? Uh, Boon Raku? Yeah, I watched part of it with you, and we never of finished it. Of course you it. did. Of course you did. It's on the same level as, as uh, Bulletproof Monk, for sure, where it's just like, this is a direct-to-DVD movie that somehow came out in theaters. Like, <laughs> how? Why? <laughs> how did this happen? Um, they tell a story about a knockoff Spider-Man, which I always thought was very interesting huh. in that movie. But it, if you don't know, it's got Josh whatever, Dumal? No, no, no. Josh Dumal is the guy from Transformers. Josh Hartnett. The guy from Penny Dreadful, and he is trained to be not a samurai, but like a kung fu master by uh, Woody Harrelson. And oh. they and they fight the guy who played Hellboy. What's his name? Ron Perlman. Ron, yeah, Ron Perlman. Yeah, and then there's a couple other like actual like martial artists in the movie, but it's a interesting martial arts film. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, made. Made way later, though. 2010 is when that one came out. I'm like, oh, yeah. people are in this. They definitely made this movie. I remember, I saw... like, ju- I remember just liking the, the, like, the stylistic visuals of that movie. That's why I like it. That's I mean, that's why I like, honestly, a lot of kung fu movies. Like, the story is not amazing. But it's dope to watch these really cool fight scenes. And then when you throw in, like, the stylistic choices of something like Bulletproof Monk or Boon Raku, like, they are entertaining. It doesn't mean they're the best movie of all time. It doesn't mean I think they should win an Oscar. But it's the same thing I was talking about with video games, where I feel like I miss out sometimes. Where I'm like, oh, it's a 7. I shouldn't play it or whatever. Mm-hmm. You feel like you miss out on a lot of good experiences. Like, I play Predator Hunting Grounds for almost, like, an hour a day at least. And a lot of people miss out on that game because it wasn't a 10 out of 10. In fact, a lot of sites gave it like a five because as a as a whole package, you're like, no, there's not a good story. No, the graphics are not the best. No, it's a little janky. But when you play it, it's fucking fun, you know, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's something that is not graded on well when you look at it like critically, which is part of a job of a critic is to say, like, yeah, it's still fun. But like, is this going to win awards no probably not like it, it's your job to kind of point out the flaws and something but yeah. i think they fail a lot of times where it's like yeah but like are you gonna have a good time like do you have some beer like like, <laughs> like this can this can be a this could be a fun night like do you have two friends that like the same stupid shit as you then you'll probably love it exactly <laughs> exactly like do you want to talk about it on a podcast within a podcast like it's gonna be a good time 
you were saying samurai, like favorite samurai things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one one thing just came to mind, and I know it is objectively not good, but okay. it was a hell of a lot of fun when I was a teenager. It was the uh, Afro Samurai video game. Ooh, you know, like probably not the best game at all. But when it comes to an anime like adaptation, a lot of those games are just crappy arena fighters. Whereas in Seven Samurai, full on linear game, like not 40 hour experience, but a 20 hour experience. Mm -hmm. And the fighting system was fun. It kind of played like Devil May Cry, like the earlier platinum games, you know, before uh, before uh, what's what's the big one? Bayonetta. Like where mm-hmm. it was just like a samurai game, it kind of played like what a modern Onimusha would play like. Yeah, and like you could dismember people before uh, Metal Gear Revengeance. Like it had the same system basically, where like if you slashed a certain way, this person's arm would come off or their head would go flying with blood spurts. But it was animated with like the the cell shading look to it. Yeah, that was it, a solid it, game from the 360 era. It featured two of my favorite. Um, boss fights that I think I've ever experienced. It featured and, my favorite Samuel Jackson I've ever experienced, where it's just yeah. him yelling that he's not a GPS. Yeah, that was pretty solid. <laughs> but but the the first one you're on like 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 it is very stereotypical um Japanese samurai showdown type of type of a fight. You're fighting your old master because he lied to you or something. And he's like Are you in a graveyard or are you on a mountaintop? I th- it's or in a almost, field. I'm sorry, that was the other one. Or a field. Right, yeah. It, it's it's kind of like an island. Oh, okay, okay. But, but it's like at your father's grave. Uh, see, okay, see what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> the imagery there. Yeah, you're, you're like underneath a, a big Sakura tree, and you've got your your dad's grave next to it, and your, your uh, mentor is just like basically giving you this whole speech about how he was right to do all this shit, and you're just like, nah, I'm gonna kill you. And he's... <laughs> And, like, it is fucking raining, and it's got this, like, sad emotional soundtrack to it. And just thematically and emotionally, one of my favorite boss fights. That's a really cool thing. That was part of the issue, like, that I had with Afro Samurais. I'm watching it, and it's, it was the juxtaposition of, like, this is almost like a, like a, like a black exploitation film, the way that they're, they're doing it, and, like, the, the joke and inside stuff there. But then it would do this, like, super serious revenge tale in an episode. And I'm like, I am getting whiplash here. Even as a child watching this, I'm like, what, what is happening in this show? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Afro Samurai was wild. Yes. I, I appreciate it on certain levels, but I, it never like it never is at the top of my list. Like I prefer like Samurai Shampoo and yeah. a couple of those. But I, again, I'm the 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 dumb guy who's just like Samurai. Hell yeah, beautiful fucking bit, animation though. Yeah, it really was. It was the same studio that did uh, Boondocks, wasn't it? Maybe I, I think it was. Um, which is which is because like very similar styles, but uh. With Ghost of Tsushima coming out, you know, watching all these samurai movies again, I'm worried that I'm not going to have fun playing that game because when I play a game, even if it's serious, like I try to fit whatever like world that is. So even if you can do like a exploitive move to beat a boss, like I try not to the first time around because I want it to I want to be soaked in that world. You know, I want to give into it. But with a samurai game, like is that going to be fun fighting people? Because samurai fights are done in like one to two hits. Like, if the game is like that, am I just going to get frustrated because I'm going to get stabbed 45 times? (laughs) Like, we're running into a village? Like, the thing about Samurai, like, they could take down 40 people, or one dude with a pike can take you out because your sword is not as long as his spear. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't all be Tadakatsu Honda. Exactly, that's what I'm curious. Like, like, (laughs) is it... What what level of realism am I going to get when I get into one of those fights? Because, like, when you look at not just history, but like when you watch like some of these samurai movies, it gets devastating the second somebody gets a gun or even like a longbow. Like, if, like I think you're fighting Mongols in Ghost of Tsushima. Their whole thing was like they had a longbow. Like they're going to mm-hmm. take you out. And if you're a samurai, you might be able to cut down one arrow. Like you might have been trained. Like your technique is so good. You can take down one. But if 45 are coming at you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they don't have the the bleach, you know, gigantic sword slash wave of, of thing. That's not a thing in real life. You cannot, you know, there's no chi. You're not cutting down all of these arrows. So lose first level because that dude is on horseback with a bow and arrow. I mean, maybe. May- and maybe that'll be cool. Maybe like that level rules will be really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I know that's the second part of the game. Like you can't win every fight because they're not going to come at you 
one-on-one so you got to go batman arkham asylum style and sneak around and stealth yeah i was i was gonna say isn't like most of the crux of this game like having to deal with not being able to use like the bushido i think it's like 50 50 from what i understand it's like you have your honor versus your survival yeah like yeah so I, I think I think it's that kind of juxtaposition that you're supposed to be going for, which lends me to believe that the game is 50-50. I might be misinterpreting and more of it'll be stealth. But I, I feel like it's like, okay, there's 14 guys. I got to take out half of them so I can take on seven of them mm-hmm. that'll come at me in a circle. So, you know? <laughs> but I wonder, because because they're, they're trying to portray them as invaders, they're not going to be honorable. So they're not going to come at you one-on-one. like the Unlike the very honorable henchmen in Batman Arkham Asylum. <laughs> yeah, although I... I thought I saw like some sort of uh uh god brain like I I thought I saw a gameplay of it fuck yeah they they play, they they recently showed a gameplay trailer yeah but I I thought I saw where like they were like encircled by mongols and they were basically going one on one and that like I think it would be a lot of that because they would change like you're you're honorable you're saying hey come fight me one on one because I know there's a whole thing like you can press a button and call them out Mm-hmm. And then they will come at you. But I don't know if all of them will say yes to that. I think that's part yeah. of it. It's like something to be like, fuck that. Like, I have a bow and arrow. <laughs> that is so cool that, that there would be a button for like, hey, I'm here. Fucking come at me. Well, because like their, their whole thing about this game is make it like a samurai experience. Yeah. And that, that's a big part of it. Like when you watch these samurai movies, like, OK, like I'm here. Let's have the showdown at my father's grave. <laughs> <laughs> right and i and i love that thematically like you've played all of my D games like how many of them were like i ruined the whole five five player party setup because i'm like no one of you approached <laughs> and do this one-on-one fight scene while everyone is bored texting oh hell yeah i mean it, it makes for good moments it really it really really does and i think this game is going to do that but if that is what the entire game is how will you have a gigantic open world where you're fighting this invading army you know because if you're uh, let's put it this way, if you're fighting an invading army <laughs> and they have 400 people, say, do you just like, is it like a boss rush? <laughs> okay, next. okay, next. Oh, darn. He got me. That that one wound carries over to the next match. Time attack style. <laughs> like, I'm serving 342 right now. <laughs> yeah. Who has 342? All right. No, he didn't answer. We're going to go to 343. When 342 shows up, we'll put him back in line. Like, <laughs> how is that going to work with a samurai game? I'm just curious, you know, how, how that's going to go. I, just, my, my, I, my brain, my brain just went to like samurai DMV. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Like they, they take a ticket, you know, and, and they go. And again, the Mongols, while like a lot of their leadership later on in life was more honorable and developed, not like codes of honor, but be, try to become like, like a real leader. Like mm-hmm. as it went on, a lot of the earlier ones were not. They were full on conqueror. When you look at, you know, Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan's children and grandchildren from there like became very, very wise leaders, interestingly enough. I, I really recommend your the hardcore history series on it. Like it is fascinating to hear people talk about it in depth. Like especially where it starts, where it's Genghis Khan, he's like this, this super powerful leader who is going to take back their lands and then everybody else's with the fields and like the, the idea of the longbow and the horseback riding and stuff. But then as it went down, like you know, their their children had to become real leaders because you were not you were no longer this conquering army because they conquer everybody and then left them to to be part of their their army. You know, they would mm-hmm. take the best and keep going Viking style. So, like, they actually had to become good leaders because they commanded such a large swath of land. Now, now you said that was the uh, Incredible History or... Hardcore History. Hardcore History? Is that a YouTube series? It's a podcast. It's a podcast. Oh, okay. Um, I love it. It's a little bit Ken Burns, you know, where it's like, this is 16 hours long, <laughs> split into four parts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, worth it, though. I, I really I really do recommend that. I... I I'm not exaggerating either. I think each part is like four hours, but it's interesting all the way through and you can listen to like half of it and come back. That's the beauty of podcasts. It plays more like a really interesting audiobook. Yeah. Yeah. But um, the guy that, that hosts hardcore history, let me look up his name. Hardcore history. I think people are starting to get into the idea of aiming for mediocrity. They're like these guys are all over the place. Like one minute they're talking about dick jokes. The next they're like, well, actually the Mongolian armies, <laughs> 
<laughs> we we cover a wide variety of topics here. We really do. But Dan Carlin hosts uh, Hardcore History, and he always talks about how he's not a historian. He's just a dude who likes history. So he doesn't bring the whole historian aspect. Like Ken Burns is very matter of fact. This is what happened to Abraham Lincoln and these soldiers. Mm-hmm. Whereas in with Dan Carlin, he's like, listen, like, okay, so the Mongols are fighting this dude, and he's got this sword, but they got this bow, and let me tell you. Like, <laughs> And in the way he does it, it's still very informative and he's very well read and he appreciates the history and he doesn't make shit up, but he is an entertaining storyteller. So it doesn't get boring, even though some aspects of it might be boring, you know, while Mongolian warring was interesting to talk about, like he gets into like how they started to develop their own societies and like what kind of sewage system they use. You wouldn't think that's entertaining, but the dude tells a good story. Nice. So I recommend that to you. I recommend that. I recommend Bulletproof Monk. <laughs> Akira Kurosawa. <laughs> you know. Also, Kurosawa made other movies that weren't samurai films. I want to I wanna mention that. I don't know if they're as good. I, I don't know if I'd say, like, those are my favorite movies from him. But. And those are the two that come to mind. I know he made. he's made way more films. And hey, way he, more samurai films. He too. was pretty prolific, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hold on, I'm looking. Why did I type in Kurosawa? Okay, it was interesting. When I typed in Kurosawa, the first thing that comes, not the first thing, but on the same list of first things that pop up is just Magnificent Seven. So it must be a direct adaptation. Nice. And not just, oh, this is similar, but with Cowboys. Mm-hmm. On that line, since we're just talking about all these weird topics, I recommend the one-on-one um, more improv game than D&D, but it's a tabletop RPG, you could call it, called Reflections. Dave, you yeah, that's Reflections pretty neat. A few times. Yeah. Um, I was actually going to ask you if you wanted to start a game just over text message, because I've just been feeling doing some samurai stuff while we're wasting for Ghost of uh, Tsushima. But we could Reflex- do that. Yeah, it's a fun thing. So Reflections is a, is a tabletop RPG game. And I'm just seeing, I'm trying to find... I'm seeing a lot of stuff from Ubisoft. They did a game called Reflections. Story game. Reflections. Video games are ruining everything on the internet. God. (laughs) Reflections tabletop RPG. Tabletop RPG game. There we go. You can find it on DriveThruRPG. It's called Reflections. Uh, who made it? Who made it? I'm trying to give them credit so they can find it. Third Act Publishing. Hmm. But the idea is, so you take turns telling a story, and so there's a scene. So you set up a scene, one person gets to go first, and they set up a scene, and they're like, it was a time of great war or something. And then you go into describing what your character is doing, but also what the other player's character is doing within reason. So it's almost like a play-by-post RPG. Okay. And then you hand off the reins to the next person. And the goal is you set you pick three goals anonymously on a piece of paper, turn them over, and you're trying to get the other player to do certain things, to act a certain way with what you tell in your story, and then you pass it off to the other person and try to get them to do stuff. And whoever achieves more of these goals throughout each scene ends with more dice and then you have the final confrontation of like a samurai, you can do cowboys, we did Jedi one time. Um, and then whoever rolls higher wins. So it's about like, it's, it's more of like establishing a fun improv story between you and your Mm -hmm. friends. And what's really interesting is sometimes you're on two very different like lanes. Like the, one of the first times I played, we played with our friend, John, and I was trying to tell like a very interesting grounded samurai story where, um, our, our friend, John doesn't read a lot. Like he's, he doesn't subscribe to a lot of that kind of storytelling he's a very much fantasy rpg type guy Mm -hmm. so as i'm telling this very grounded samurai story of revenge versus like duty he's like and then there was poison and then then the the general is conquering the lands i was like okay we're going in very different directions (laughs) yeah (laughs) with this guy so like my bad guy was more of a um bad guy by circumstance whereas he turned the bad guy into scar from the lion king (laughs) Oh boy! <laughs> Full on the uncle from Hamlet, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I guess." But you can't control what they pick, you know? Right. 
So it, that's it's an interesting story. I do recommend it can run into some silly things. I played it with our friend Travis, who was a wild card. That's I think that's the best way to describe him. Basically, oh, sure. he's Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. If Charlie was also trained um, by assassins, that is our friend Travis. And we're telling a story. And at one point, his leg got cut off and he fashioned that into a samurai weapon. Um, basically, uh, something not straight out of Devil May Cry. And that was how we dueled. Was he yeah. had a sword on his leg? Sounds legit. Yeah, but really, really fun game. I recommend that to a lot of people. If you like storytelling or if you just get drunk sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> around a campfire. <laughs> oh, Dave, do you have anything else to recommend to people? Um, well, I was looking at Kurosawa movies on Google. Okay. And I saw the The Hidden Fortress, and it apparently has a lot of things in it lifted uh, well, not lifted from, but li- like lifted from that movie into Star Wars. No, for sure. Like um, George Lucas loved Kurosawa movies. Yeah, and a lot of the so like when you look at it, it's like oh, it's part Flash Gordon. The other part is Kurosawa samurai films. Mm-hmm. And the Hidden Fortress is all about like infiltrating and taking down this gigantic base, like the, you know, invading the Death Star, taking down. There's rebels yeah. and they're trying to rise up against this empire. Like you can see it, you know. Um, was that the one where they was it just? It wasn't just rebels. I think it was like just townspeople. Probably. I think it was just like the people surrounding, like the farmers trying to take back. Yeah. Was taken from them. And I, I don't think like their leader was like, uh, I don't think he was like a samurai, but he fought with like a samurai sword. You know what I mean? But it wasn't mm-hmm. like the normal tale of a Ronin or whatever, but it's been, yeah. I don't know, close to 20 years since I started watching Kurosawa films. I watched them way too early for sure. Like I was like a child. My dad was like, you want to watch this? I was like, yeah, hell yeah. Dude's got a sword. That's how my dad would get me to watch things. He'd tell me there was swords in it or there was karate in it. Those are the two (laughs) things. And my father being a redneck from Northern Michigan, like did not know, you know, is martial arts. There's lots of different forms. It's not just karate, you know, but right. like the, there's swords and there's karate and let's do it. And I'm like, you know what? You got me, dad. Like that's <laughs> later on. He'd be like, there's spaceships. I'm like, okay, let's watch this movie called star Wars or whatever. Space road truckers. Um, it's just called space truckers, but you're correct. That is also a favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Again, my, that's what my, my father was an enigma. Like <laughs> the, the movies he showed me, like that he turned me onto like Kurosawa films. Space truckers. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the two levels. Like I, I equally love. <laughs> I equally love Face Off, and then like Abraham Lincoln. Like <laughs> those are two great loves of mine. <laughs> like those Dos Equis commercials. I feel like they're wrong. I feel like your dad's the most <laughs> interesting man. <laughs> I was talking about him recently on another podcast about how he was the morel king, and people were like, "What the hell is a morel?" And I was like, "Well, it's a mushroom you find in the woods." And they're like, "And you can eat it?" And I was like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Is it hallucinogenic?" I was like, "No, it's served with like savory dishes like steaks." And they're like, well, "Who the fuck are you?" <laughs> yeah, and like he he was the king because he knew the difference between that one and the one that could kill you. <laughs> It was interesting as a lot of people do, like with the like invention of the internet, like it's it's a pretty pretty like savvy thing. Like you can go and learn which mushrooms to pick out of the woods and sell them. You need a license now. Back in the day though, you didn't need a license. And we would just go out in the woods hunting down morel. They call it mushroom hunting. We never did because you're not hunting mushrooms. Like you don't yeah. need to track them. You just walk and you pick them up. <laughs> I've always hated when people call them mushroom hunters. I'm like, you're stupid. <laughs> There's yeah. not that much skill involved. You walk long enough to get more. And we would come out of the woods with like a, like several pounds. And that, that doesn't sound like a lot, but it's mushrooms. They don't weigh a lot. So that's a lot of mushrooms. Yeah. And they used to sell for $80, $90 a pound before so many people could do it. And before you need a license, you could just sell them to restaurants. And that would fund an entire summer for us because, you know, we didn't make a lot of money. My dad fished. You know, like that was in the, a, a form of income, and he was also a chef. So, like that would fund like birthdays and Christmas is all of our mushrooms that we would sell. But like he was the morel king. I remember a picture of him in the newspaper because he was just surrounded by like hundreds of mushrooms. And they're like, "What's your secret?" And he's like, "Well, you got to know where to find them, and there's hidden locations and stuff." His secret was that he had a six-year-old boy running around who, so he didn't have to bend over picking up all of the mushrooms. That was yep. that was the secret. 
that was the cheat code that he typed in. He was like, and oh, he knew what property to trespass on. One hundred percent. He's dead. I can say that. Like there was no like you know you can't find all of the morels on state land. Like, what you do no. is you find find the very rich house who's never ventured into the woods because it would get their their uh, very expensive shoes wet or whatever. Like that's where you go looking for them because they've been untouched by man for twenty years. And you just say, now Terry, if anyone talks to you, you're lost. <laughs> You're like, listen, bud. All right, if you see somebody, don't run away. Just tell them that you're lost. Uh, you lead them off in the other direction. I'll escape. <laughs> we meet back at the truck. <laughs> <laughs> That's again fascinating, man. My father. We'll have to tell some more stories. Um, you can check out some of those other stories on the other podcast, right in the fields. I have another one called "Can't Be Killed Confessions" that you can check out. Not just my embarrassing stories, but also my father's. There's a really good one on there about me shooting myself. And we got another one coming up about me being arrested while ghost hunting. That's a that's a favorite of a lot of people. When we oh have yeah, that's man. a good one. It's a good one. That's that's coming up this week. Um, if you want to hear a more serious discussion on things, you can check out my podcast, Persons of No Consequence, where I interview people that don't have a Wikipedia page. I know what you're thinking. That sounds boring. So you're interviewing people that are not famous. Exactly. Because everyone's got a story to tell and way more fascinating than you think. The two that we have up right now, my friend Noelle. Uh, she was adopted in Flint and has just like a fascinating life. And then Melinda recently, she started her own podcast called Dusty Pages. I get her on, she, I interview her about her life directing uh, local news broadcasts. Um, that was really fun. Found out that she directed seven and four news when I was a child. <laughs> like we were watching the same program and one day she would grow up to direct it and I would grow up to yell at it in the morning because it didn't show more fun segments. Mm hmm. You know, things like that. I have another show on here called I Show My Wife Stuff, where me and my wife are. It's like part marriage counseling, part why didn't you listen to me when I told you to watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer? And now <laughs> I show her more Buffy the Vampire Slayer stuff. You know, good podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dave, do you have anything to plug? Uh, No, not really. You want to put up your resume yet? I mean, just put it up on the site and be like, hey, hire this guy. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> I know well, some things. We'll get going on that. I have one last thing to plug. Issue three is dropping. Of Actually, probably when you listen to this, it'll probably be closer to issue five or six, but of D&D This, my webcomic series about a group of D&D players and how bad they are at the game. Um, one of my favorite things to do these days, drawing and writing this this webcomic. And if you want to hire me for either of those things, you can contact us on can'tbekilledcreations.com. Uh, Dave, thank you for joining me and letting me rant about Samurai Films for an hour and a half. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, I don't know about for other people, but this one's fun for us. Right? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> fuck anybody else who's like, dude, what is wrong with like, you have a lot of podcasts on your network that have goals and a topic. And then you have one called Aiming for Mediocrity. And I can't decide if there is a topic and or goals and or hosts for it. The answer is maybe. And also, is it not just called Two Golden Guns? I'm confused at what, <laughs> <laughs> what this podcast is. <laughs> oh. Tune in next time for when we start talking about Studio Ghibli movies. <laughs> Dude, we sh I've been showing the... Okay, we'll get into that next time, but I've been showing the kids Studio Ghibli movies, and they fucking love them, and it's awesome. Nice. All right, uh, this has been Aiming for Mediocrity, and we're out. All right, take it easy. Take it easy, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Peace. Peace.